0: You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our
1: latest episode. Welcome back to our Exploring the Bible course, Bible Literacy Seminar. Uh, This is our second series, uh, which has been on the life of Christ, and uh, this is part five, our week five, and uh, this week we're looking at the teaching of the Messiah. If you'll recall, if you've been with us for the first uh, four sessions, uh, we looked at the anticipation for the coming Messiah based on Old Testament prophecies. Uh, We looked at uh, the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, his early days. And uh, then last week we were looking at his preparing for his for the ministry of the Messiah, choosing the apostles and and getting them prepared for uh, the three and a half years they would spend uh, with him in his company during his ministry, and that of course included his his baptism uh, at the hands of uh, John the Baptist. Um, so uh, welcome back. We're we're glad you're here. If you've missed any of the previous uh, sessions, we'll remind you that they are available. Uh, online as videos uh, as well as the uh, more extensive notes uh, because as we've become to appreciate uh, there's no way we can cover all the material in the life of christ in eight short weeks so if you need to go back and review those uh, that's that would be a good thing to do and uh, the notes for this for this class uh, will be available as well online Um, so we're looking at this week part five or week five the teaching of the messiah and uh, this will be both by his the, the words he actually uses in instructing people as well as the events in his life, which in many cases were like enacted parables. So uh, everything he did, everything he said, uh, kind of tied into that same message, that same mission that he had as, as the Messiah. So uh, this this week we're looking at these four uh, sections, his work in Nazareth and Galilee, um, The Beatitudes, perhaps uh, part of the most famous, a speech that Jesus gave, sometimes called the Sermon on the Mount, uh, the practical issues, and that's the thing with with Jesus that that separated him from many of his contemporaries is uh, that his teachings were so practical and relevant for for everyday life, and that was true two thousand years ago, uh, and it's true today. And uh, then we'll we'll finish with looking at uh, the second Passover, uh, so we're just past one one year uh, into into his ministry. So, uh, if you have your Bibles open, uh, that would be great. Uh, this first section is is going to be uh, from uh, John chapter four, and uh, we'll see that uh, after his his um, his baptism um, and the temptation in the wilderness, uh, and and events that we looked at last week, that it says here in John chapter four, verse one. When, therefore, the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. Um, so we have a map here. Judea is down here. Uh, that's the territory of, of Jerusalem. And we know that John the Baptist was baptizing in, in this area of the River Jordan. Um, And he was planning now to go back to his his hometown area in Galilee in the north. And uh, it says here in verse four, and this is really, really important, again, effective Bible reading. It says he must needs go through Samaria or the new King James says, but he needed to go through Samaria. Now, if you can see on this map here, Samaria um, sort of cut the land in half. And uh, this was the ancient kingdom of Judah, which became Judea. And the north here were the northern ten tribes. And uh, Samaria was the capital city and became uh, this whole region or area became known as Samaria. And we'll look at the historical significance of that in a moment. What we do know is that uh, Jews and Samaritans did not get along. And so here it says he, he needed to go through Samaria. Now, most people, Jews, that is, Um, if they were leaving Judea and going to Galilee. They hated the Samaritans so much. I don't know how well you can see it on this map, but here was the traditional route. They would head somewhat north, cross the Jordan River, just south of Samaria, go on the um, east side of the river, and then come back over into the area of Galilee by crossing the river again. They didn't even want to go through Samaria. So Jesus didn't need to go through Samaria in some sort of, well, that was the direct, uh, that was the the common route. It was certainly more direct. But he didn't need to go through Samaria from that point of view. There was this alternative route that most people would take. And perhaps the disciples would have been a bit confused. Why are you going through Samaria? Um, but the point is, he needed to because he knew he had someone there he wanted to meet. So um, just a little note there um about uh, the language here and this is this is you know jesus is always intentional he, he does he doesn't do anything by by chance um and so he's he's on a mission here and he's purposefully choosing to go through samaria it says that he cometh to a city of samaria which is called sychar near to the parcel of ground that jacob gave to his son joseph now jacob's well was there Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Um, We've got the word highlighted thus here. In other words, he sat on the well, being wearied with his journey. Now, if you'll recall last week when we looked at the the choosing of Nathaniel, Jesus said to Nathaniel, you know, I saw you sitting under the fig tree before i even called you, Um, and um, it was there's was indication that 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 Nathaniel had been thinking about Jacob uh, because of the, the angels of God ascending and descending. And and we're gonna see this connects to, to Jacob as well. It was Jacob's well, Jacob as well, pun intentional there. Um he came to Jacob's well and he sat on the well, wearied from his journey. We're gonna see that connects to, to connects to Jacob exactly. Um, And there comes a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me to drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy meat. So this this well was outside the city limits, uh, and Jesus was sitting there. And a woman comes along, and he says to her, give me to drink. This was the woman he had come to see. This was why he needed to go through Samaria. She didn't know it at this time, but he did. His disciples didn't know it. They're going to be shocked. But this is the amazing thing about Jesus, the Messiah. Uh, he 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 seeks people out. He's the good shepherd, and he's seeking for the lost sheep. And here, he's talking to a woman of Samaria. Now we're going to pick up the story in a minute, where she's astounded that he even talked to her. Um, but first, we've got to talk about this Jacob's well. So that's this takes us back to Genesis chapter thirty-three. Again, if you want to make a note in your Bible and and make this connection as cross-reference. If you have a Bible with cross references, it's probably there in the margin. It'll link you back to Genesis chapter thirty-three. Now, a little bit of background here. Uh, in in uh, chapter or verse one of chapter thirty-three, it says Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau came, and with him four hundred men. Now, uh, the the chapter break may not be useful here. You got to look back and say, well, what just happened? Well, you'll recall that Jacob, after all the years in servitude to his uncle Laban, was heading back to the promised land with his wives and his children um, and flocks and herds and and all all that he had. And he was concerned about meeting Esau because last time he saw Esau, Esau had threatened to kill him. Well, the previous night, Jacob was so worried that he was up all night struggling with this idea and at the same time struggling with an angel of God. And uh, he had said to the angel, and I'm not going to let go until you bless me and he'd received a blessing in fact this is when Jacob's name was changed to Israel Well at the end of that his thigh was was put out of joint uh so that he would release the angel but also teach him a valuable lesson Jacob stop relying on yourself rely on me God is saying and so he's limping now so he's tired he's he's um, anxious he's he's lame. And here he is, and and there's Esau coming with forty men. Now he didn't know what um, uh, Esau's intentions were. He had, he had planned to send all these these presents and tried to appease Esau. It actually worked, in the sense that Esau no longer held the grudge from twenty years ago, when he when he, when Jacob um, stole the blessing from him. Esau is successful and rich, and he has no more grudge against his brother, and they have a reconciliation. And uh, then Esau uh, leaves and goes back to his home country, offering to for Jacob to come with him or for the, uh, Esau to help him get to the promised land. And Jacob's like, no, go ahead. And I'll, I'll, I'll go on slowly. Well, it was in this condition that Jacob came to Shalem, a city of Shechem, says the King James Version, which is in the land of Canaan, uh, when he came from Padan Aram and pitched his tent for the city. So imagine, imagine Jacob. All the anxiety is now gone. Um, he's tired. He's been up all night. All this worry about um, about Esau, and he's lame. He's limping, and he comes to this city of Shechem. Now, the King James says that, that it seems to read here that um, Shalem was the name of a city, but Shechem is the is the city. Um, and this word Shalem you may recognize. It, it looks like the Hebrew word Shalom, which means peace. It's a greeting, and so the New King James has it this way. Then came Jacob safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Padanaram, Aram, and he pitched his tent before the city. So this is the city. This is the place where he's now going to buy some land. He's going to dig a well. Um, and this is where Jesus is. So when it says Jesus came to the city wearied and sat thus on the well, he would have been thinking about Jacob, you know, and his reliance now upon God and, and his anxiety gone about, over, uh, about, about Esau. Um, and about leaving um, Laban and coming back to the the promised land. All this was going through his mind. And and Jesus, in this frame of mind, is sitting thus on the well. Um, And so what happens is Jacob buys a parcel of land and builds an altar. At some point, uh, he must have dug a well there. Um, Later, at the end of his life, he gives this portion of land to his son Joseph. And Joseph is actually buried there. So all these things and probably a hundred more things are in the mind of jesus as he comes to this place um and and sits at this very well so let's pick up the story remember we left it in john chapter 4 that he had said to the woman give me something to drink you know jesus wasn't thirsty in that sense um there's no indication that he ever got any water from her this was an opening question And this is the marvelous thing about the teaching of Messiah, the teaching of the Master. He knows just what to ask. He knows just what to say. And he's got to draw this woman out. And so he begins by saying, "Um, give me a drink of water. The woman is surprised. She said to him, "Um, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? Now, that would seem strange to us unless, you know, John reminds us here that the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Remember the map? They would usually go around them, go out of their way to not even pass through Samaria. So it would have been remarkable to see a Jew sitting there, and he would have been identifiable by his clothing. Um, But then to speak to her, there's lots going on here. There's a Jew speaking to a, a Samaritan. There's a man speaking to a woman and engaging her in conversation All these things were outside of normal protocol of the day. And and that's Jesus. That's the Messiah. He breaks through all those prejudices and and things that we we would consider, quote unquote, normal. Now, why was this? Why did Jews have no dealings with Samaritans? Again, you may have a cross-reference in your Bible. Um, and, And if you don't, you want to write it in. Now, this is a summary. It's in 2 it's Kings 17. But basically what happened um, after the time of Solomon, uh, the, the, the Jewish, king, Jewish kingdom had been split in, split into two. There was the southern two tribes, um, Judah and Benjamin, that, were, um, the, that became the kingdom of Judah. Uh, and then in the north, the ten tribes became the kingdom of Israel uh, and again centered in Samaria um at some time later the babylonians came well sorry the late the babylonians came much later before the babylonians were the assyrians and what happened was the assyrians invaded israel took everyone from israel and took them captive but they didn't want to leave the land empty and they did not have enough people of their own to to populate it so what it says here in verse 24 of second of Kings 17 and the king of assyria brought men from babylon and from kuhath and from ava and from Hamath and from Seraphim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel. And they possessed Samaria and dwelt in the cities around. So these were foreigners, and, and they never left. They would have mingled with those who were perhaps left in the land. Um, they asked for help and assistance from the kings of Assyria. Like, we don't know how to worship these gods. So he sent some people back to teach them. And you had this weird mixture of peoples and, and cultures and religions. Um, And you've got this passage here, they, these these mixed people, it says they feared the Lord, the God of Israel, and served their own gods. So it was really this this mixed religion uh, after the manner of the nations whom they carried away from thence. So it's going to be really important, remember this point, that they have this sort of mixed religion, they've got some truth, they they do know who the God of Israel is, Yahweh, Um, but they've got their own idols as well, and they've got this kind of... Mixed religion and notice they come from one two three four five other regions that too is going to be significant. So they got five sort of uh, Nations foreign nations with their false gods and this one True God Yahweh that they're trying to worship as well Um, That's going to play into what's happening and this is about um, What about 600 years before Jesus And now 600 years have passed, and this woman is at the well. She's Samaritan, and this is her heritage, and Jesus is going to teach her the truth. So Jesus says to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that said to thee, Give me to drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So you can see how Jesus, the the question about give me something to drink, or the request, was just an in. It was just a way of getting this conversation going. Because he's saying, Really, what you're offering is not nearly as important as what I have to offer you. Well, she said to him, she takes him literally. Says, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is, is dip, deep. Where are you going to get this living water? And here's the question. She was obviously a woman who understood her heritage, who understood the significance of the place they were. She was a deep thinking woman, and Jesus was looking for her. That's why he needed to go through Samaria. She says, are you greater than our father, Jacob? So although she was a Samaritan, she connected to Jacob. You know, she must, there was, there was this mixture of, of, of the races there, which gave us this well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle. So like this well is, is our lifeline. Are you greater than that? (laughs) Jesus answered and said unto her, whoever drinks of this water is going to thirst again. It's just natural water. That's why you got to come every single day to draw water because it's it's not eternally satisfying. It just gets you through the day, but Jesus goes on to say, "But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life." Now he's really raised the stakes here, hasn't he? Um, uh, it's he, he's speaking on a very different level, a different plane, and and she's still wondering. She's she's starting to get the sense of it. She. She says to him sir give me this water that i thirst not neither come hither to draw now i think she's being sincere but you know is there a touch of sarcasm here we're we're not sure this was she's never had a conversation like this before in her life uh in fact we're gonna see that she wasn't maybe the most popular woman in town and may have been shunned that might be why they're alone here um usually would come to draw water in the mornings and this is not the morning uh, maybe she had to come alone, uh, uh, outside of the normal time, because she was the kind of person that had been rejected by the majority, but not by Jesus. So, give me this water," she said. So Jesus says to her, "Go call your husband and come hither." Again, why? This just seems random. Why? Why is he saying these things? Why did he ask her for water? Why does he now ask about her husband? Well, Jesus, as always, is getting beyond. The here and now, and what he sees, to obviously what he sees beyond that. Kind of like when Nathaniel, when he said to Nathaniel, "You know, I, I saw you sitting under the fig tree." He he knew so much more about Nathaniel, and this proved to Nathaniel that he was in fact the Messiah, the King of Israel. So she says, "I have no husband." Hmm. And then Jesus blows her mind. He says, "You have well said, I have no husband." For you have had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not your husband. In that saidst thou truly. You've spoken the truth, says Jesus. You've spoken the truth that you don't have a husband. Because really, you've already had five, obviously divorced and remarried. And the person you're living with now has never been officially your husband. Wow. This woman, no wonder she had been perhaps shunned by by her society. Out here alone in the middle of the day drawing water. Um, but Jesus was looking for her. Now, again, the teaching of the Messiah. This is like an enacted parable because this Samaritan woman is representative of all the Samaritan people. Do you remember where they come from? Five different regions. And they had this mixed background, five husbands. And the one that they had now, they thought they were had the truth. They thought they were following the God of, of Jacob wasn't really their husband. They hadn't made that a connection. And so this woman really represented everyone in her region. And uh, Jesus, uh, by saying this to her, again, really got her attention. And look what she says. She's a woman. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. <laughs> well, I guess so. He knows your background and he's never met you before. There's something special going on here. And now you can see that despite this, you know, background that she had, we don't know why she had different uh, five different husbands. Maybe they died, you know, maybe they divorced her. There's something very um complicated in her past. And she's a Samaritan with this this heritage that wasn't her fault, coming from five different nations and trying to worship God. It was a mixed-up situation. So we don't know anything more about that, but we get a sense here that she's quite a spiritual woman. That she's interested in these kind of things and she knows, she says our fathers worshiped in this mountain right where we are. And yet you say in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. That's going right back to the time of Jeroboam, who set up the golden calves in Dan and Bethel and said to the, the nations and the, the tribes in the north, don't go down to Jerusalem anymore. Then the the all those five nations are brought in by the Samaritans. They're taught the ways of quote unquote Yahweh, but it would have not had anything to do with Jerusalem. Don't go down to Jerusalem. You can worship here at these, these altars and at these golden calves she says well we worship here uh in shechem which was near the mount of blessing and cursing um Ebal and gerizim but you say we have to go to jerusalem so she's thinking about these things she she seems to care jesus said to her woman believe me the hour comes when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at jerusalem worship the father because of course he knew that in a very few short years, in eighty seventy, 70, Jerusalem too was going to be wiped out and the whole land was going to be desolate for thousands of years. And then he says, and they've got this highlighted here, ye worship you know not what. It's just a mixed bag you've got. You know, this idol, that idol, all these foreign gods and Yahweh mixed in there and golden calves. It's, it's just a mess. He says, you don't even know what you worship. He says, true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth for the father seeks such to worship him. And here was Jesus, the good shepherd, seeking this woman. And Jesus goes on to say, God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so this woman had, it seems she had spirit, she had intentionality. She she wanted to know, but she didn't have the truth. And that's what Jesus was going to teach her. Um, and then look at this. The woman says, Well, I know the Messiah is coming, which is called Christ. Remember, Christ is the Greek, Messiah is the Hebrew, the same word for the anointed one. When he has come, he will tell us all things. And this is now profound. This is a first in scripture. Jesus said to her, I am I that speak unto thee am He. Now, this is incredible, and you might want to note this in your margin. Jesus Outwardly, obviously, and overtly claims to be the Messiah first and foremost to a Samaritan woman at a well. You know, there'd been allusions. There'd been, obviously, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Um, the disciples acknowledge him as the King and so on. But in a sort of a public way, this is the first. And this is really going to sort of unlock or, or unleash the ministry that Jesus is Christ. Incredible. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with a woman. Right? Why is he talking to a woman? And why is he talking to a Samaritan woman at that? But no one said, what seekest thou? Didn't question her what she was doing here. Or they didn't question Jesus why he was talking with her. So this conversation seems to have been interrupted. And, And obviously Jesus had this plan. He would have known. And so his last words were to her, I'm the Messiah. disciples come in there's obviously a little bit of confusion you know the woman's probably just startled so what does she do it says she left her water pot she came there to draw water that morning but she left with her heart filled and her mind racing she went her way into the city and said unto the men come see a man which told me all things that ever i did is not this the christ she preaches we've seen this with all the disciples as soon as they've met uh, Jesus, and been called to follow him. They go and find their brother or their friend. they're they're always finding people and telling them about the Messiah. And this woman's no different. Um, she goes and she starts to proclaim to everyone in the town that the the, the Messiah had come and he was there at the well. And what happened? They went out of the city and came to him. And um it, it's interesting then that the the disciples then say, well, we brought you some food. Jesus, master. And he says, oh, I've already had something to eat. And they're like, who, who gave him something to eat? And he said, well, I've had food that you don't even know of. He was he was filled with doing the will of his father. And this was spiritual food. And it it, it superseded the need for natural food. And then he turned and the whole crowds were coming out of the city to meet him. And he said, the fields are white for the harvest. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he sends laborers into his harvest. And so the, the, the ministry began there in Samaria. Uh, the 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 white fields for harvest as as people came to him and wanted to know and and so he stayed there a, a while and then continued his journey up into Galilee uh, when he got into Galilee um, the ministry continued and uh, he he spoke to to multitudes of people his fame was building and uh, the the speech that we're going to look at next um, is quite often called the Sermon on the Mount. Um, And it's recorded in in, in Luke 5, sorry, Matthew 5 and Luke 6. We're going to base it mostly in Matthew 5. Matthews 5, 6, and 7 encompass this what is called the Sermon on the Mount um, or Discourse on the Mount. Some have have connected it to to Moses when he preached to the the people right at the end of his life, just before they entered the Promised Land. Um, He spoke to them right in this location, the Mountains of Ebel and, and Gerizim, where he'd been with the woman. Um, this is further north in, in, in Galilee. Um, some have said it was kind of like Jesus' mission statement, if you will. This was this was his vision. It was a, it was a visionary statement. Um, the Beatitudes cover the moral qualities that Jesus desires his followers to develop. That's in the first sort of half of, of Matthew 5, and then 6 and 7 continue developing these themes. And we'll look at some of those things today in the teaching of the Master. Um, we'll, we'll have to go fairly quickly. Um, and these these qualities, these moral qualities, are really the qualities that Jesus Himself displayed. So He He preached to them and taught them what kind of character they need to develop, and then of course He manifested that in His own life. Now these series of sayings, and there's there's eight of them. They're known as the Beatitudes. It's it comes from a Latin word for blessing, and kind of see you can see there um, that it's there's some Latin you know words there that just means blessing because he's going to say blessed are the so on so that's why they're called the beatitudes but really for us I think we can think of them as the be attitudes what attitude do we need to have in order to be like Christ and so we'll quickly look at them um, here they are it says blessed are the poor in spirit blessed are those who mourn blessed are the meek and so on uh, and these are in Matthew 5 if you're if you want to follow along in your bible um, the word blessed there means it's, it's a state of happiness. It's, um, it's it, you know, it, it, the idea of, of, of a peace of mind, a tranquility. This is the idea. So if we manifest these characteristics, poor in spirit, mourning, meeking, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, being merciful, being pure in heart, being peacemakers, uh, and the last one, if we're persecuted. Um, it it actually is a blessing. Now, these are not characteristics that, uh, for example, society at large would put forward as as something that's desirable, but these are moral, spiritual qualities that Jesus manifested, and those who follow Jesus need to manifest. And it's interesting here, he's going to say, so, for example, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall receive the kingdom of heaven. So you humble yourself now, you're poor in spirit, um, you don't think of yourself highly, you think of others better than yourself. In this life, that might mean kind of a lower station, but you're going to be in the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus returns and the kingdom of heaven is established on earth, you'll have a part in that great day to come. So it's kind of all about the, the now compared to the then. If you mourn now, you will be comforted. You'll have comfort in this life, yes, because of, you know, knowing the hope that we have, but you'll be comforted uh, in the kingdom. Um, if you're meek now, you will inherit the earth. Now, meekness is not weakness. Jesus was a meek person, and yet he was the most powerful person who ever existed. Whoever existed. Uh, Moses, it says, was a meek man, and yet, obviously, he was uh, a very hardy uh, leader, you know he wandered in the wilderness. He was a at one point a prince in Egypt. Um, So meekness is not weakness. Meekness is is, is a frame of mind that allows you to be teachable, um, that allows to you to to put others above yourself, to to think of what's best for other people and not yourself. Truly, a quality of a great leader. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you're going to be filled. And Jesus later says, you know, ask and it will be given to you. If you really want uh righteousness if you really want wisdom that comes from above ask for it search it out and you will be filled uh if you show mercy you will obtain mercy if you're pure in heart you'll see god really these these characteristics here that describe to us how to uh, develop the characteristics that will allow us to be pure in heart this whole series of um teachings of jesus in Matthews 5, 6, and 7, is going to end with a statement, be holy, for I am holy. So those who are pure in heart will actually see God in the kingdom. Um, If we're peacemakers, we'll be the the children of God, because this is a characteristic of God. He's loving and merciful and long-suffering and patient and good. He is a peacemaker. He is one who, who, who brings tranquility and peace. And if we do that, try and harmonize and try and unite people, um, then we will truly be God's children. And if we do all these things, we're likely going to be persecuted because these things are anathema to to many uh, in, in the world. And uh, when we speak truth like Jesus did, uh, well, we know where that got him, He's going to end up being crucified. And again, we have the book ends here. The poor in spirit who are persecuted for righteousness sake, will receive the kingdom of heaven. And so the book ends on these eight qualities, these moral qualities. Now this next um, this next little section here, uh, we're not going to look up these passages again. These slides will will be available, um, and uh, I just found this interesting that Jesus, in all the um, the blessings, the characteristics that he's showing here, had an Old Testament connection. So poor in spirit is in Isaiah sixty six. Those who tremble at the word of God, um, those who mourn are in Isaiah sixty one. Um, the meek. It's pretty much a quote, Psalm 37, verse 11 says, the meek shall inherit the earth. Um, so we can see that Jesus is drawing on these Old Testament uh, prophecies and teachings and then expounding on them in his discourse on the mount, hungering and thirsting after righteousness, Isaiah 55, you know, ho you that thirst come and, and get uh, um, food and drink without cost. You know, why are you laboring for those things that that don't give you anything? Come and have for free what God is offering. Uh, the merciful are in Psalm 18, the pure in heart. Psalm 24, who shall ascend into your hill and dwell forever in your holy tabernacle? Those that are pure in heart, it says. The peacemakers, um, those that have the ability to, to um, control their own spirit. Uh, it's better than someone who goes out and, and fights a war. So making peace. In, in in many cases is not is just diffusing a situation, not going in kind of guns ablazing and fists flying, but controlling your spirit, biting your tongue. These are peacemakers. You know, a soft answer turns away wrath. And we see in 2 Chronicles 36 that God had sent all his messengers to appeal to the people of Israel, and one they killed and one they stoned, and so on. So if you bring God's message to people, Quite often, it's not going to be received. Now, in the, the Luke account, in, in Luke chapter 6, Jesus has a counterbalance, as if you will. He Not only does he, he say the blessings, but there are four woes. Interesting that there's half as many. Later on in his ministry, in, in, in Matthew 23, he's going to be very harsh in speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees who he calls hypocrites. Now in Matthew 23, we'll come to that later in our classes, in another week uh, down the road, uh, Jesus has eight woes for the Pharisees and the scribes. So that might be a little interesting connection you want to look into. But here in Luke chapter six, after a summarized version of the the blessings, he has four woes, woe to you that are rich, that are full, that laugh now, when all men shall speak well of you. You can see there's this this contrasting. Um, if if now you put your focus on the here and now, you're gonna miss out on the future. Whereas the the beatitudes of poor in spirit, mourning the meek, that's a state of mind now that's humbling that that results in exaltation in the kingdom when Jesus returns. So, what does Jesus say about these ones? Woe unto you that are rich, for you have received your consolation. If you go after you know riches and wealth now in this life. That's all you're gonna get. There, there's nothing more for you. Don't expect any reward in the future. You got what you wanted. If you're full now, you're gonna hunger later with with regret and and misgivings. If you laugh now, you're gonna mourn and weep. Remember, if you mourn now, you'll be comforted. If you if if you see the state of the world that brings grief to your heart, your heart, and you long for Jesus to return um, to 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 put right everything that's wrong, well, you will be comforted. But if you participate now in what the world offers and you're laughing and having a good time, um, later you will mourn and weep with with regret. And if men are speaking well of you, beware, because that's what they did for the false prophets in Israel's history. It was always the the false prophets that got all the accolades and all the notoriety. Um, Whereas the true prophets of God, uh, they received... um, uh they were persecuted and and uh and and sometimes killed so it's basically a contrast between the now the here and now and the kingdom uh it's a comparison between the present and the future you gotta you gotta sort of make a choice do you want do you want everything now and then miss out on the future or are you willing to give up things now put yourself second things of other think of others first now and receive the reward in the future it's basically the temporal versus the eternal. And so these beatitudes and the teachings of Jesus uh, really set the tone for really, as I say, it's like this mission statement. If you're going to be followers of me, you need these qualities, the Evilists in the eight blessings, and you need to avoid the things that are on the screen now. Um, you know, being satisfied with what this world has to offer now. Now, Jesus goes on in Matthew chapter five. We won't read it all here, but he he, he brings some metaphors. He talks about. Being the salt of the earth, he talks about being the light of the world, and like a city on a hill that can't be hidden. And this is really an extension then of you know if you're putting forward these these characteristics that that he's talked about in the in the eight beatitudes, you'll be the salt of the earth. Salt um, savors things; it, it makes things taste better, and so we can have an influence for good in in our circumstances, in our homes, in in our places of work, amongst our neighborhood. Um, we can we can bring savoriness to a place that is um, is often bitter um salt also preserves um uh, we're kind of distant from that in our own modern society but you know salt preserves things and and we have the ability through the teachings of Jesus which we share through the characteristics of Jesus which we show of helping bring salvation to others it's it's like that light of the world that the city on the hill that can't be hid or like a candlestick to give light to all that are in the house. We need to, to show forth the teachings and the characteristics of Jesus, and therefore have a, have a good, have a positive influence in, our, in whatever environment we're in. We can bring light to a dark place. And so, once again, Jesus in his teachings uh, gives these these wonderful metaphors or pictures that we can have that help us to remember his teachings and put them into practice. And then in Matthew um, chapter 5, he continues, and he's contrasting really Moses' law, which they would have known well, the Jews that he was speaking to, with his laws. And really what it comes down to is outward action compared to inward motive. And there's a bunch of them here. So for example, he says, you know, you've heard that you shouldn't murder. Obviously, that's a good thing. But did you know that murdering starts with anger in your heart hatred? So we need to deal with the anger. I mean, it's great if you don't kill people, and that's good. But, but do you get angry with people because it's really then just one step away. Um, adultery, the law said don't commit adultery. Jesus says don't even lust after a woman or a man. you know the the, the, the outward action of adultery begins with a, a a thought, a lust in your heart that you you nurture and you develop until it brings forth. That sin. You remember we looked at that in our previous classes, that temptation comes from within, and Jesus knew that. And so he wanted to control anger. He wanted to control lust, not just the outward actions, but the inward motive. You know, he says, oh, you make sure, the, the law says keep your oaths. I say to you, just, just keep your word. If you say yes to something, do it. If you say no to something, don't do it. Your word should be enough. You shouldn't need to come up with all these elaborate oaths. Um, you know, certainly, if you make a promise like a, a serious vow, like like a marriage vow or a baptismal vow, obviously keep that. But he's saying, day to day, just be a person of your word. Be honest. Have some integrity. This is the this is a Christ's law that that isn't replacing Moses' law, but it's it's like a higher law. There's some higher principles at play here. You know, he said the law said an eye for an eye. I say it's better off if you don't revenge yourself. You know, let yourself be defrauded. Suffer for the. The sake of someone else don't be so vengeful oh it was covered under the law and, and and that's fine in in a way right but but jesus is saying come to a come to a better place where you know you don't look uh for revenge in in any of your dealings um and of course the the law of love the golden rule right um do unto others as you would have them do unto you this is something that supersedes it kind of is, is over everything if you just practice the golden rule do unto others as you would have them do unto you you don't need to worry about all these other other laws it just it covers all of them um and then of course he ends with the statement be perfect even as your father which is in heaven is perfect and this isn't this statement here is is an encouragement if you follow these ways you can you can be like god god wants you to be like him he wants you to be part of your family um it's an encouragement it's it's not sort of a, a threat. You know, you better be perfect. It's like, no, do this. Follow me. Uh, follow my steps. Follow my teachings. Follow my law, says Jesus. And you can be perfect just like God. That's what he wants. He wants you to have to have you in his family. And then he goes on. And again, the teachings of the Messiah we've mentioned, um, you know, are very, are very graphic, are very memorable. And this is perhaps one of the most famous ones. You know, the one who built his house on the rock versus the sand. Sort of graphically illustrated here, you know, the the sandcastle that can look amazing, but gets washed away by the tides compared to the house that's built on a rock. Now, maybe you haven't seen this before. You know, what makes the difference between someone who's wise and someone who's foolish? Well, if you read carefully, and uh, this is careful Bible reading, effective Bible reading, um, you want to color in some words here, at least I have in my Bible. I've got them here. Therefore, whoever hears the sayings of mine, says Jesus, and does them, I'll liken them to a wise man which builds house upon a rock. And, of course, the rains come and and the house stands firm because it's built on a rock. So the wise man is someone who hears and does them. Okay? Now, what's a foolish man? Well, here's the thing. The common denominator is both the wise and the foolish man heard the teachings of jesus or knew about the teachings of jesus but the foolish man doesn't do them it's like he hears them he knows what he should do but he just doesn't have the wherewithal to to pull it off if you will and so he builds on sand and of course it's tragic it looked easier in the beginning it's like oh, i don't have to do any work i don't have to dig down for a foundation it's just it's all right here let's just do it it's it's doing what comes naturally to our natural mind, if you will, you know, the mind of the flesh, the thinking of the flesh that just does what comes naturally. That's not wisdom. So we need to hear and do Jesus' sayings. Um, And we're foolish if we hear them and don't do them. So it's not talking about ignorance, someone who doesn't know Christ's teaching. It's someone who knows them and should know better, but doesn't act upon them. That's what Jesus calls foolishness. Well, we'll slip, flip back over to the um, the, the account in John, um, and again, a lot more detail in the notes. Make sure you get a copy of the notes if you want to dig into this a little more deeply. But here, back in chapter five, and we, we've we've grouped some things together here. It ca- we call it the teachings of the Messiah. This is a miracle he's going to perform, but in this miracle, it's really an enacted parable. Um, so, during his visit to Jerusalem for the second Passover. Um, of his ministry Jesus heals a lame man at the pool of Bethesda Um, and we'll pick it up here in John chapter 5 so again if you have your bibles you might want to flip back to John chapter 5 so remember he's been up in Galilee now he's back come back down into the south into Jerusalem Um, after this there was a feast of the Jews and and most commentaries uh, suggest this was in fact the Passover. Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is at Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a sheep market, a pool. It's also near the sheep gate. So this is where they would have brought the sheep, purchased the sheep for the sacrifices in the temple. Well, that's significant because Jesus is the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. And here he is near the sheep gate. And there was a pool, which is in call, called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, which is house of, of blessing, uh, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. Now there's some information in the notes. Basically, this was some, some sort of must have been a, a spring of some sort where every once in a while it kind of gushed and, and the waters, you can kind of see it in the in the illustration here. There was a moving of the waters. And whether it had any medicinal effect, um, or whether it was just kind of legend, um, there was this idea that if you got there first into the water, just as it was moved, um, could be healed and you know whether that was true or not doesn't really matter The people certainly believed it and one of the lame men there believed it um there was a certain man there which had an infirmity 38 years when jesus saw him lie and knew that he'd been a long time in that case he said wilt thou be made whole notice again the teaching of the messiah we saw it with the samaritan woman and we saw it with this man he asks a question or makes a request that seems kind of obvious do you want to be made whole well, obviously he's been there 38 years um waiting for someone to help him into the pool know I mean, what a tragic what a tragic situation he was in um there's lots going on here in this enacted parable number 1 he's there he's near the temple he's near the sheep gate he's near this supposed pool that can bring miraculous healing and it's of no value to him uh this 38 years is significant if you think about the fact that Israel wandered in the wilderness for 38 years after the first two years so they got to the promised land after two years they weren't faithful enough the 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 10 of the spies brought back an evil report and they didn't go in because of unbelief and so they wandered for another 38 years so if the Samaritan woman was kind of symbolic or representative of the, the people in Samaria at Jesus' time this man was representative of the whole nation of Israel, especially those in Jerusalem. And they were they were impotent, they were powerless. They couldn't save themselves. They, they couldn't get into the pool. The pool didn't really help them, the, the, the temple couldn't help them, the law couldn't help them. They were they were like this lame man at the pool. And their only hope, their only source of salvation, like for the Samaritan woman was Jesus, and they were blind to it. So he he asked this, this simple question just to get the conversation going. Um, do you want to be made whole? And um of course the man said, Well, I'd love to, but there's no one, no one here can help me into the pool. And Jesus, is like, I'm not talking about getting you into that pool for m- maybe what you know might help you in that troubling of the water. I'm gonna heal you here and now. And so Jesus says to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. Well, he did. Immediately, he did exactly what he was told. He he showed the faith. He trusted this man, just like the Samaritan woman did. Um, There was something about Jesus present and his speech that was powerful. And so he did. He took up his bed and walked away. So verse 9 of John 5, immediately the man was made whole. Immediately. He hadn't walked in 38 years. Um, He took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. You know, Jesus, again, very intentional in his teaching, in his actions. So once again, he's going to try and show the nation, and particularly the religious leaders, that they were like this impotent man. The law couldn't save them. And they were so hung up about the Sabbath that Jesus purposely healed this man on the Sabbath day and told him to take up his bed and walk. Well, Of course, the Jews said unto him that was cured, it's the Sabbath day. It's not lawful for you to carry your bed. Okay? This man had been lying there. He obviously could look the same. He had the same clothes. He would have been bedraggled and in in rags probably. They surely would have recognized him. He must have been well known, having been there for 38 years. And they're more concerned that he's carrying his bed rather than looking at the fact that he was healed? I mean, surely they would see through that. But no, they didn't. They were so hung up on the law. And and God's law, while it was holy, just, and good, was, was causing them to be impotent. It couldn't save them because they were thinking of it wrongly. So he says to them, he that made me whole, the same said to me, take up your bed and walk. He's like, I'm just doing what I was told. The man obviously has power. He cured me of my lameness. Why wouldn't I obey him about taking up my bed? Look at this, a few verses later, the Jews did persecute Jesus, and they sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. You know, could we ever be like that? Could we Could we ever so focus on one aspect and one thing that we can't see the, the rest of it? I can't see the force for the trees, as the saying goes. Jesus cured a man of lameness, and this wasn't some sort of play-acted thing. This wasn't a setup. This man had been there for 38 years. And Jesus healed him. He had not walked for 38 years. We don't know how old he was. Jesus cured him. It wasn't a trick. There was no trick here. This was God's power obviously demonstrated and manifested. But they were like, oh, no, he can't be from God because he did it on the Sabbath day and told this man to carry something on the Sabbath day. That's against our law. By the way, it wasn't against God's law. God's law wasn't about doing nothing on the Sabbath day. It was about doing God's work on the Sabbath day. And this was God's work to heal people, to save people. And Jesus was doing the work of the Father. So Jesus answers them, my Father works hitherto, and I work. You know, the whole purpose of the Sabbath was you stop doing what you're doing, your sort of common everyday stuff, and do the things of God. God kind of kicks into action, as it were. He's working on the Sabbath day. Well, of course, they freaked out about this the jews sought to kill him more not only because he had broken the sabbath but said also that god was his father making himself equal with god now this is really interesting and there's a whole section in the notes for them just saying god was his father made them think that he was equal with god jesus never said that in fact jesus goes out of his way to say you've missed the point I, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do, what his, the father do, that's what I do. Um, so Jesus makes it very clear: I'm, I'm not claiming equality with God. I'm just saying I'm God's son, and and I follow everything He does. He told me to heal, I heal. He gave me this power, I use it for the benefit of others, not for myself. He wasn't making himself God, but they misunderstood him, and and made and and made out this point that they thought he was equal with God. But Jesus says quite clearly in verse 30 of John chapter 5, just to drive home this point, I can of my own self do nothing. He, there, there was no, he had nothing of himself. He had received it from God, his father. He was sent by God, his father. He was doing the works of God, his father. He wasn't claiming to actually be God. He says, as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the father which sent me. We saw that in the in the temptations of wilderness he wanted to do god's will and not his own and we see it right away at the at the end of his life um in gethsemane not my will but thine be done this was how jesus acted every single day and there's encouragement there for us to put aside natural things that's the beatitudes don't do what comes naturally do what comes if you will supernaturally by the mind of the spirit Replace the mind of the flesh with the mind of the spirit. Do the things of God, not the things that come naturally to yourself. So what have we seen in our lesson today? Well, like the, the Samaritan woman, we must drink from the living waters that Jesus supplies. That means acknowledging our, our errors and change our ways. Acknowledge that our, our our the baggage that we bring needs to be discarded. We need to leave our water pot at the well, as it were, and worship the Father in spirit and truth. Um, the Beatitudes we looked at describe these eight positive behavioral characteristics of a believer and the blessings that accrue if we do that. Gradually, these attitudes will develop in us if we allow, as we allow God's word to guide us. So we need to be molded and shaped by these, these, these teachings of Jesus, these laws of Jesus, if you will. We have to be salt and light, be the salt of the earth and the light that's of the world, the city that's set on the hill. That's that's our mission statement, if you will. That's our. You know, we can wake up every morning and, and say, how can I be salt and light today? We can see that the law of Christ goes deeper than following commands and, and analyzes our motives. It's not about rule keeping, law keeping. It's about what's the motives? What's in our heart? Do we do we harbor hatred or lust, or vengeance? Um, you know, we do need to put these things aside and 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 bring them captive uh, by the by the law of Christ um and be holy like our father is holy and of course we saw that doing the word is important we can't just be hearers and, and james elaborates on that in, in his epistle you know we have to be doers of the word and not hearers only this is true wisdom and of course the enacted parable at the end uh, all that it spoke about the inability of the law to to heal and, or to save um, and our need to come to christ and obey him Um, and that true Sabbath keeping is resting from our own works and doing the the works of the father, not, not just one day a week, but every day of the week, it's about putting, uh, aside our own wants and desires and, and, and loving the Lord, our God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul and with all our strength. So thanks for, uh, for listening once again. Um, next week, God willing, we'll be looking at this growing opposition to the Messiah. And you can see we've already seen the, 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 the seeds of that sown. They weren't willing to accept Jesus for who he was. And they, they couldn't take the obvious demonstration of power to mean that he came from God. They were hung up in two things at least. Their own view of my, what Messiah should do. And Jesus wasn't doing it. He wasn't casting off the Romans. And their misunderstanding of the law of God. The law of Moses. That, that had them boxed into these restrictive measures that only really looked at the outward um, mo- the outward um, actions, not the inward motives. And so we'll see that that grows, the growing opposition of the Messiah next week, God willing. So in the coming week, I pray that God will bless your study of his word wherever uh, you are studying it, whatever section, but in particular, as we look at the life of Christ, uh, God bless you in your reading that you might read effectively and explore the bible and learn from it and uh, be encouraged and transformed in uh, in in your thinking and in your actions so god be with you and until we till we see you next week god willing